Let's open our Bibles. I got it right this time. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Aren't you looking forward to that day when we can go home to be with the Lord and uh, be with Him for forever and ever? You know, we think of the great, the the blessings of salvation, and uh, there are so very many. But the greatest is Jesus Himself. Let's open our Bibles this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, as we continue through this this letter, this epistle, Paul has written to the church at Corinth. Remember, along his second missionary journey, the apostle stopped and for a year and a half spent some time in the city of Corinth. And with the help of Timothy and and Silas and Luke, God used this group of men to establish this church in this pagan city. And as we look at the society or the culture of the city of Corinth, we see many parallels of America today. There are many things that they battled with that you and I battle with. And if we're not careful, the same fate will happen to us as happened to the church at Corinth. And sin will enter into the local church and run rampant and really hinder God's blessing and God's work. And I don't know about you, but I don't want that to be the case for my life. I trust that you don't want that for yours or for your family either. And so we come to God's word very carefully this morning. And in chapter number five, if you remember, as we turn the page here, really one of the, one of the pivotal truths here, I want you to look back in chapter three, just by way of introduction this morning, and consider the ownership of your life. Uh, you and I, we are, we are not our own. You and I, we've been bought with a price. The Bible tells us in chapter 3 and verse 23, it says, And ye are Christ. You and I belong to the Lord. Uh, We've been purchased, we've been redeemed, uh, bought out of this life of sin, and the Lord has saved us by His grace, and He has called us to glory and virtue, to live our lives in a manner that pleases and glorifies Christ, a life that that is not perfect, because in this life none of us can be perfect But one day our faith will become sight and will be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. But until that day, we have a battle that rages within us. Uh, And the the same was true for the church at Corinth. Now, if you remember, the great battle they faced was not that of doctrinal issue. Uh, They were pretty much right down the line. What had happened was they allowed sin to enter in. And they struggled with their own personal carnality. The word carnality refers to what is fleshly. And every one of us in here, we have uh, have a battle raging between the spiritual and between the carnal. Uh, They are at odds one with another. They are the opposite driving forces. Uh, The world, the flesh, the devil, they want to fuel and feed our carnality, whereas the Lord and His Word strive to, to fuel our spirituality. And we want to be like Christ. And, and so if we're going to be spiritual people, we must learn to be scriptural people. And we come to the Word of God this morning, and we understand another battle that rages, and another telltale sign that we are being driven by the flesh, consumed by, with our own carnality. If you're able, I invite you to stand with me today. We're going to begin reading here in chapter number 6 and verse number 1. The Bible says this, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? 
Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels, how much more things that pertain to this life? If then, ye ha- if then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. It is so that there is not a wise man among you, no, not one, that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But, but brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you, Because ye go to law one with another. Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, and ye do wrong, and defraud, and that your brethren. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Father, we pray this morning for your blessing and for your strength and for your help in these moments. Father, we've read the scripture. We pray that you would give us uh, eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. Lord, we ask that you would guide us this morning and and speak to our hearts personally, uh, speak to us specifically concerning matters of our own life. We know that God's word will not return void. And so, Lord, we trust you with it today. Father, we've read this scripture. We pray you'd open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your law. That you would help us today receive the truth in love. And that we, by your spirit and grace, would have our lives transformed by your effectual working in our lives. Lord, we trust you today. We need to hear from you. Lord, we need victory. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, we once again, Father, pray that today would be the day of their salvation. And so, Lord, we pray for your help. Lord, in just a few moments, we'll be asked to make decisions today and to confirm these things at the altar. Lord, we pray for the invitation time that you would help us along that route. Lord, that our lives would be pleasing to thee. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, I'd like to draw your attention to the ending statement or the key expression found at the closing part of verse number 12. Paul, he makes a statement here that he would not be brought under the power of any. Notice he says, I will not be brought under the power of any. Let me ask you a question. Are you or have you been brought under the power of something? Have you been brought under the power of someone? This could be a person. uh, It could be a substance. It could be an emotion. 
It could be a gamut of things, but we, we understand that you and I are not to be under the control of anything other than Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God. As we look around society today, we see many people who are struggling with the fact that they have allowed something or someone to have power over their lives. They allow some foreign substance or for some foreign entity to control their lives. You know, if, if someone uh, speaks a certain name, what's your, re- what's your response to that person? If, do you harbor ill will or, or bad feelings toward that person? You know, when, when a circumstance or a situation is brought to mind, what is the response of your heart? You see, oftentimes we allow ourselves to be controlled by things and people who ought not have control of our lives. I want you to look at what the Bible says with me this morning. Holding your place here in uh, 1 Corinthians, I want you to turn back to Romans chapter number 6 with me today. Romans chapter number 6. And we see here the truth of control. In Romans chapter 6, in verse 15, the Bible makes a statement. He says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Remember what Paul said. Just, uh, he said, all things uh, are, uh, let's see here. He says, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. May I tell you, just because you can, doesn't mean that you should. Just because uh, you feel a certain way or feel compelled to do something, doesn't mean you should. May I tell you, there's, we need to understand this, this law of control in our Christian lives. The Bible says, look again. In verse number 15, he says, God forbid. God forbid. Uh, So Paul asks a a question, and then he answers it, God forbid. May this never be the case. What then? Shall uh, Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. He says this in verse 16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey... His servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were servants of sin. Notice the past tense were. Ye were servants to sin, or servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. There has been a great change that that has taken place in the lives of God's people. The Bible says, Wherefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You and I, we have a new master. I want you to look ahead in your Bible, the book of Ephesians, please. Ephesians chapter number 2 this morning. Again, by way of introduction, we see the Apostle Paul drawing another, uh, another lesson here explaining this, this truth of control, this truth of, of giving power to something in our lives. You see, before we were saved, before we came to know Christ as our Savior, we lived according to the world, according to the flesh, and according to the devil. Remember, even John warns in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, concerning the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
And so that's the world system, is to pursue these things and to live in such a manner that does not glorify and honor Christ. And for our lives, we have yielded ourselves to their control. We were under their power. But now we have a new master. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible says, And you hath he quickened, or made alive. I love that word. You're either alive or you're not. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sin. Verse 2 says, Wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So that was our master. And you think, well, that just, you know, I'm, I'm better than that. Oh, no, you're not. The Bible says, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past. Notice, fulfilling the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You and I, we have a new master. Before we, we lived according uh, to the, the prince of the power of the air, who is the devil. We were by nature the children of wrath. However, the Lord has saved us. He has set us free from, this, from the bondage of sin and death. He's given us new life. He has justified us. Uh, even back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse number 11, he says, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of uh, the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You and I have new life. We have a new master. We should no longer allow ourselves to be under the power, to be under the authority, to be under the control of this world. We must learn to live under the, under the control of God Himself. Amen. Won't you look back with me, if you would please, in the book of Ephesians. Turn over just one page. In Ephesians chapter number 5, we see here a great lesson. You see, the Word of God does, does, not, uh, does not mince words. God has a purpose and a plan for you. Anything less or anything other is, is wrong. It's sin. And may God help us learn how to possess our vessels in sanctification and in honor. But the Bible says this in, in Ephesians chapter 5. Again, the Lord speaks to the truth concerning the control of the Spirit of God in our lives. Being filled with the Spirit. If you've never marked this verse, I encourage you to do so. In Ephesians chapter 5, in verse number, let's begin in verse number 18, it says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Mark that verse. We're going to uh, just make a, a few references this morning to this verse. But he continues, he says, Speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, 
singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. But we see the command in verse number 18 to be filled with the Spirit of God. By no means does does verse 18 condone drunkenness. Rather, God's Word condemns those things and actually forbids the child of God to participate in the consumption of beverage alcohol. Instead of being controlled by a substance, like a a drunkard is controlled by, by alcohol, rather you and I are to be controlled by the Spirit of God. So what God is giving is an illustration, and really the antithesis one of another. We see this one person over here who's filled with this, with this substance, who's lost his wits, who's lost his way, and is now doing things that, that would be contrary to even his character. Years ago, I knew a man that, uh, that uh, you know, we grew up together, and, and this, unfortunately, this man went and he made some bad decisions in his life, and just a wonderful, just a nice guy, uh, fun to be around, but he got entangled with this crowd of people that consumed beverage alcohol, and before long, he became a drunk, and he began to live in a way that brought great shame and dishonor to his family. Unfortunately, in, if you live, how many of you have ever lived in a small town? Uh, you know, Columbus, you know, it's not really a small town. Uh, things can happen to you and not everybody will find out, but in a small town, everybody knows. Even God says, be sure your sin will find you out. But this man, he was arrested for public intoxication for doing things publicly that, wow, humiliating, embarrassing. And not only so, but his actions, the police report was filed and recorded in the public newspaper in a section entitled, The Police Beat. And everyone in the county read about it. Christians, you and I are not to place ourselves under the power of any. We are to place ourselves under the power and influence of God alone. You and I are to be filled with the Spirit. God is the one who who calls the shots. God is the one who sets the course. God is the one who determines the actions. God is the one who determines our speech. God alone is the one who should have power over us. But the church in Corinth, they were struggling. They found themselves in a very tough spot. They allowed their flesh, the carnality of their life, to rule and to reign and to guide them. And in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, we find two areas addressed by Paul in this chapter alone that they struggled with. That they had given themselves to. And that these things had, had now gained power over their lives. 
In the first 12 verses of Scripture, yes, while, while Paul addresses uh, the matter of, of taking one another to court, really, I believe that the underlying lesson here is unforgiveness. How many of you know someone who is ruled or allows their lives to be ruled by unforgiveness? Someone has done something to you, said something about you, uh, harmed your family or, or attempted to do so, and you just can't let it go. And now that unforgiveness has festered. Years, uh, it's been a while, but I remember it's been maybe a year or so ago, I was working on something in my garage, and, and I had this wire, this wire brush. And I was trying to clean something up. I think I was hanging uh, a light my, my wife had gotten these, these really cool industrial lights from, from her dad. He had gotten them from, uh, from, his, from his place of work. They were replacing them. And uh, I, I was trying to, to rewire the light so, I could, so we could hook it into the electric in our house. And so I, I had to take the whole, the whole fixture apart. I was cleaning it up, you know, scrubbing it with this, with this, uh, this metal brush and re rewiring, got it all done, I got the light bulb put in, you know, hanged it on the ceiling, it worked, praise the Lord, it worked, and, but I noticed something, about the next day, I had some soreness in one of my fingertips, and I looked, and, and I really, I didn't really see anything there, there was nothing so obvious that it was, that it was clearly seen, I thought, well man, I wonder what I did, it is something that very tender, and began to hurt to the touch. And as the, as the day went on, I, I noticed that my, my fingertip began uh, becoming inflamed and, and red. And I looked down, and wouldn't you know it, I finally saw it. There was a piece of that wire brush that had broken off the bristle and lodged itself in my finger. And I'd, you know, I'd washed my hands. I, 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 tr I try my very best to practice cleanliness. But for some reason, that little metal bristle went unaddressed. And you know what happened? It began to fester. May I tell you, that's what unforgiveness will do. You know, it may not be clearly seen, but if left unaddressed, it will begin to fester. And it will hurt you more than the one that you've not forgiven. In the first 12 verses, Paul deals with unforgiveness. Verse 13 through 21 deals with fornication. Both of these things, if left unaddressed, will harm your Christian life. That's why Paul says, you know what, I don't want to be under the control of these things. As you look at your life this morning, is there something that controls you? Is there something, is there an influence in your life that changes your disposition? That, that alters your demeanor? That, that makes you cringe or tense up? Are you harboring unforgiveness? Friends, 
may we say together, as Paul spoke so clearly, I will not be brought under the power of any. Do you know what we need? We need victory. We need victory over unforgiveness. And as we look here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there are three primary lessons that we learn concerning this reality, this unfortunate reality of unforgiveness in our lives. I don't know about you, but I want victory. How can I have it? How can I have victory over unforgiveness? The first lesson, won't you write these things down? I believe they'll be of utmost help to you this morning. The first deals with our concern. And may we be more concerned with Christ's testimony than with anyone else's. We must protect Christ's testimony. Look what the Bible says back in verse number 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. He says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? You know, let us not air our dirty laundry for all the world to see. How many of you have ever heard the statement, there is nothing secret and there's nothing sacred? You know, may God help us with this in mind, work diligently to protect the testimony of Christ. The church in Corinth, man, they, they were unforgiving. They were suing one another. They were going to court. I mean, just piles and piles of litigation over needless, over nonsensical things. And what did it do? It harmed the testimony of Christ. When there's discord amongst the body, make no mistake, the lost world will see it. And how dare we then take the discord that we have and promote it to the lost? He's like, it's just inviting the devil to come in. But this is exactly what they had done. They were more concerned with themselves than they were about Christ. You know, I like to be right. Ask my wife. I like to be right. We all want to be right. When someone says something about us or does something to us, we want to, we want to make it right, don't we? I want to prove myself correct. And in the pride of my life, remember, we address this pride. If you look back in, uh, in 1 Corinthians, we see here that, uh, that they were carnal. And in, in chapter 4, in verse 6, the Bible speaks of their, their being puffed up. And, and again, in verses 18 and 19, he speaks of them being puffed up. In chapter 5, in verse 2, he speaks of them being puffed up. Friends, they were, they were prideful. And it was this carnal desire to be right and to be proven right that they disregarded, that caused them to disregard the testimony of Christ. They were more interested in making themselves look right than they were about making Jesus look right. Unforgiveness is a terrible thing. Look back, he says here, Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? 
And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things uh, that pertain to this life? Sometimes, you know, there's the, the argument is that, well, the church is just not qualified. There's not one person in this church that can help me uh, reconcile uh, my relationship with my brother. False. False. You know, we, we look even, we can look ahead in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Of course, it speaks primarily concerning the, reconciling, the, the work of reconciliation, bringing lost people to a relationship with the Lord. But if God would allow us to do that, how, how can we not then uh, mend relationships amongst the body itself? He says here uh, in verse, uh, verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 5, he says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him that died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. Christ reconciled us to God. We can help bring people to Christ, who then can be reconciled to God. He says, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. What a, what a grand and noble responsibility God has rested upon our shoulders to tell people of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness we can find in Him, the salvation that we can obtain by faith in Him. And how is there anything less? If, if God allows us to do this, how can we do anything less? You and I, we're not unqualified. We're more than, we're more than qualified. You see, Paul reminds us here, is, this is almost prophetic, it is prophetic and yet it's very practical. He reminds us of our future responsibilities. We will one day judge both the world and the angels. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look back in verse 11, and through 15 he says, For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive reward. And if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. What is this speaking of? It's speaking of the judgment seat of Christ. And Paul speaks here of the judgment seat of Christ, and it is here at the judgment seat of Christ that our position within Christ's millennial kingdom will be determined by our performance in this life. Positions of power and authority will be occupied by those saints who faithfully serve the Lord in this life. Even the prophet Daniel spoke of this very truth. 
Won't you hold your place here and turn back with me to Daniel chapter number 7. Daniel chapter 7, we see here this prophetic lesson, this, this uh, position that we have to look forward to. You just imagine serving the Lord in such a capacity as this, and it's all based upon our faithfulness. But he says in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 22, he says, Until the Ancient of Days come, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. There's this a great foreshadow of, of what we have to look forward to. At the, at the end of the millennial kingdom, God will, will judge Satan, according to Revelation chapter 20, and also the angels of Satan, and those angels that fell from heaven with him. You know, we will have a part in this judgment as well. And so how think we that there's, some, that there's nothing we can do to help bring reconciliation against two opposing brethren? See, if the Lord deems us capable of such a daunting task, why do we hesitate to bring the matter before the church? Even the least esteemed within the church are more qualified to bring a resolution to the matter than a pagan judge who knows not Christ. I want you to look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The Bible says in verse 6, But brother goeth to law with brother. And that before the unbelievers. You know what? Unforgiveness will cause us to do silly things. Unforgiveness will cause us to be more concerned with our being right than we care about the Lord. Friends, I want to encourage you this morning to protect the testimony of Christ. But notice the second lesson that we learn here this morning. And may I tell you, this is hard, difficult. We need to learn to let things go. Learn to let it go. Look in verses 7 and 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The Bible says, Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you, because ye go to law one with another. Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? He says, why don't you just let it go? Let it go. He says, nay, ye do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. Church family, we must learn to let things go. You're doing more harm to yourself, more harm to the brethren, more harm to the church, more harm to the testimony of Christ with an unwillingness to let it go. You know what happens when we don't let things go? We become culpable. You see, all wrongdoing and fraud is criminal behavior, is it not? But for the brother to wrong and, and defraud another brother only aggravates the culpability of the guilty party. 
Instead of joining the guilty party, let us be quick to forgive. Quick to forgive. You see, one's unwillingness to let things go, one's attempt to get even or to even exact vengeance, endangers their heart by allowing the root of bitterness to grow. You look with me in the the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 12, we are warned of this, this root of bitterness. And may I tell you, every one of us have this root already in our hearts. We simply need not water it. The Bible says in in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, He says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and and thereby may be defiled. Friends, we've got to let these things go. This bitterness is not going to defile your brethren. This bitterness will defile you. This bitterness will not hurt them. This bitterness will hurt you. Have you ever seen someone who's bitter? Oh man, my heart breaks for them. People who think they've been wronged. And for some reason, they just can't let it go. And they've got to prove that that they're right and that they did nothing wrong. And then now they've got to to go and, and work to win people to their side of things. But this unwillingness to forgive only leads to bitterness. He says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, afterward he would, uh, when he would have uh, inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Christians, unforgiveness leads to resentment. Resentment leads to bitterness, and bitterness leads to hatred. Let us not seek to assume God's role. It's not our job to to judge. It's not our job to get even. It's not our job to exact vengeance. You know what our job is? Our job is to let it go. Just let it go. Uh, A few weeks ago, I parked my, my truck in the street. And uh, the person bought our neighbor's house. He's, he's there all the time. He's, he's doing work on the house. And, you know, one day he, we, were, we would sat down and we were eating dinner and we got a, a ring on the doorbell. And I walked. It was this gentleman who bought our neighbor's house across the street. And he says, man, I'm sorry. I just backed into your truck. I have to tell you, I was not happy. Look where you are going, right? It's, it's not a small vehicle. It's not a smart car, okay? It's a Ford F-150. You can't hide it. It's right there. Pay attention. 
And he says, you know what, man, I'll, I'll fix it. I'm thinking, you're right, you are going to fix it. You backed into my truck. You're right, you are going to fix it. And I, I was not mean or sharp to him as, like I wanted to be. But he said, hey, go get an estimate, and I'll fix it. So I went and I got an estimate. And guess what? He didn't want to fix it. Granted, it's, the, the damage is not too significant. I know it's there and it bugs me. Every time I walk by it, it bothers me. I am OCD, okay? Ask my wife. I like things to be well-kept, well-cared for. I want to be a good steward of the things that God has given us. But you know what I had to do? I want to win that man to Christ. He's Macedonian Orthodox. I want to win him to the Lord. May I tell you, it's not worth it. That little dent in the fender of my truck, it's not worth it. Let it go. He's avoided me for the last three months. But I've let it go. It's not a big deal. In the grand scheme of life, in the grand scheme of eternity, it's not worth it. Church, you've got to let it go. How many things have we held on to? How many things have we given power over our lives? You've got to let it go. It's doing more harm to you, to those around you, to people that God wants to use you to reach. Because you can't be bitter and be used of God. There's a great hindrance that's there. We've got to let it go. Listen to what the Bible says in, in the book of Romans, chapter number 12. Something that we must not forget. In Romans chapter 12, Paul, he says here, concerning vengeance, he says, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, Live peaceably with all men. The dear, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place under wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Friends, let it go. Let it go. It's not worth it. Notice the final lesson that we find here back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's this. It's that we must learn to follow Christ's example. Follow Christ's example. In verse number 9 of 1 Corinthians 6, 
we, we read a laundry list of sinful behavior. He says in verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, no lost person is getting to heaven. It says, Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. So no, no unrighteous person, no one who is unsaved is going to heaven. But then he begins to describe the, the, the character of those lost people. Speaks of fornicators, those who engage in sexual activity outside the bonds of marriage. He speaks of idolaters, those who worship something or place something or someone in the stead or in the place of God himself. He speaks of adulterers, those who violate the covenant bonds of marriage. Effeminate, as a man who becomes really, the word effeminate means to me to become soft. And, and a man who assumes the behavior of a lady. We see an abuser of mankind. This, is, this speaks of sodomy. Thieves, one who takes the possessions of another. Covetous. I find it interesting, God links right simultaneously. He speaks of, of thieves and then covetous. Well, I've never stolen anything. I've never taken something that doesn't belong to me, but I sure have wanted things that don't belong to me. Covetousness. Drunkards, those who become intoxicated with alcohol or other illicit drugs or substances. Revilers, those who demonstrate abusive behavior. Extortioners, those who, who rob others using threats of violence or other harmful means. You know what he says? Lest we become too high and mighty in our own minds. Because remember, the church in Corinth, they all struggled with pride. They were already puffed up. And in verse number 11, he says, and such were some of you. Don't think of yourself too highly than you ought to think. Because, and such were some of you. You know, we, are all, we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Consider the crimes you and I have committed against God himself. All of our sin, though we may sin against each other, is ultimately a sin against God himself. All of our sin is a crime against God. And he says, and such were some of you. But what did Christ do? He forgave us. We've been forgiven. We have been redeemed. He says in verse 11, But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Consider, consider the example of Christ. 
when you don't want to forget, when you don't want to let it go, when you don't really care about his testimony, remember what he did for you. When everything in your flesh wants to hold on to it, let it go. You know what Christ has done? He's forgiven us and he's let it go. He has removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. We we sang of it this morning. He he blotted out our iniquity. He nailed it to the cross. And and, uh, the Bible says in verse 13 of Colossians uh, chapter 2, it says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Christians, you have been forgiven. How dare we then begrudge our fellow bro, our fellow Christian? How dare we harbor unforgiveness in our hearts? Even to this day, the promise rings true. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Follow the example of Christ. You've been forgiven, so forgive others. We say, but pastor, I don't want to. Well, that would be between you and the Lord. Do you either want to hold on to it and allow it to ruin your life? Or do you want to relinquish its power over you and allow God to use your life for his glory? Those are the only two options that we have. As we close this morning, won't you look, please, the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter number 18. And as you turn there, listen to what the Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 31 and 32, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you? Has someone offended you? Are you harboring unforgiveness? Consider our Lord's instruction to to Peter. In verse 21 of Matthew chapter 18, the Bible says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times. There's got to be an extent, right? There's, there, there has to be a limit to my forgiveness. I'll forgive you, but only so long. Till seven times? I mean, that's the, in biblical numerology, I mean, that's, that's the perfect number, isn't it? 
That's the number of completion. That's the number of perfection. That's the number of God himself. Seven times is sufficient. No. Jesus saith unto him, I, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Four hundred ninety times. I'm keeping track. I've got a really long tally in my in my in my back pocket. Is that what he's saying? What he is saying is that there is no limit to our forgiveness. There is no limit to his forgiveness of us. Therefore, there should be no forgiveness. We should have no forgiveness or limit to our forgiveness of others. We should have no limit to our forgiveness of others. I will not be brought under the power of any. May God control our lives. Not emotion. Not bitterness. Not wrath or clamor or evil speaking. Christian, if something, if unforgiveness has power over you, you need to consider the testimony of Christ. Learn to let it go and practice the example of our Savior who forgives faithfully every time. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let's all stand to our feet this morning. In just a moment, we'll have a time of invitation. Maybe you're here today and say, you know, Pastor, pray for me. Pray that God would help me forgive. Is there anyone like that here this morning? Say, Pastor, pray that God would help me forgive. Yeah. As the piano plays softly this one, I invite you to, to come. Won't you come and just forgive? Would you step out of your place?